Would you like to reach hundreds of thousands of athletic subscribers? <laughs> Who wouldn't? Our lot are great. They're intelligent. They have demonstrably long attention spans for all of those long reads. And that means they're almost certainly the ABC ones you're looking for. Imagine your brand front and centre on the Totally Football Show, or Talk of the Devils, or Football Clichés. You can advertise with us now. Our highly skilled and effortlessly charming commercial team are waiting to hear from you, whether you want a single ad on View From The Lane or full title sponsorship on our Women's World Cup show. We've got something for everyone. Contact partnerships at theathletic.com. That's partnerships at theathletic.com. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! Gee! He's round the goalkeeper! He's done it! Absolutely incredible! He launched himself six feet into the crowd and Kung Fu kicked a supporter who was without a shadow of a doubt giving him lip. What makes a stadium a cathedral of football? Top flight witches, concrete lunges. Brendan Rogers talks about turning 50 in the most football way imaginable. The threshold for a goals compilation to go from best to greatest. The precise location for a player to be picking up the pieces box-to-box fullbacks, and a ludicrous extension of the BBC's Hollywood preoccupation on a brisk early Sunday evening in Wrexham. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 228 of Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry and alongside me for the adjudication panel today, first of all, David Walker. How are you? I'm very well, how are you? Really good, thanks. Listener Ben Atkinson has got in touch with um, a word that sounds quite football-y to me, but one I'd never heard before. Okay. Um, It's from a Guardian piece that refers to Alan Titchmarsh, presenter of the long-running BBC television show Gardener's World, as Britain's most famous plantsman. Nice. That is it. Plantsman. Plantsman. That's a cool word, isn't it? I like it. Yeah, it is football-y in a way. I mean, obviously you wouldn't ever be able to use it, the exact word, I don't think, in a footballing context. I don't know, maybe a groundsman out there could also be... Just didn't think it was necessary. I mean, maybe gardener doesn't do him justice. I looked it up anyway. A plantsman is an enthusiastic and knowledgeable gardener, amateur or professional. It's a um, bit humble, isn't it, for for Titchmarsh? Titchmarsh is, you know, he's right at the top of his field. Yeah, is he not? Literally, the plantsman <laughs> is sometimes said to be synonymous with botanist or horticulturist. A horticulturist may be a plantsman, but a plantsman is not necessarily a horticulturist. So important stuff to know if you ever do happened to call someone a plantsman, but I really like the word. Titchmarsh would surely count as a horticulturalist, surely. Yeah, yeah I guess so. I was going to so. call him, I actually nearly called him, you heard me pausing there when I said he's at the top of his field, because I was going to call him the Don, of. but then of course that's already taken by by Monty. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Unassailable, the Don. Um, alongside you for the adjudication panel today is the Athletics Premier Numbersman, Duncan Alexander. How's it going? Hello. Yeah, good, thank you. Pleasure to have you in what has hitherto been known as the Equishare hot seat. Little poser for you, first of all. 
Al Snow has got in touch. Says, I asked my colleague how the work five-a-side game went the previous evening. He replied that it was end-to-end. Can a five-a-side game be described as end-to-end? Surely that's a given. Yeah, I think that's uh, pretty much. I mean, I did, I mentioned this before somewhere, but I once played um, a five-a-side game in an emptied-out swimming pool in Camberwell. And basically that was very much end-to-end because it was only about, well, what is the width of a swimming pool? Ten metres is the standard, isn't it? So, on the... Um, on the- Original surface, sort of tiled surface. No, they had put down your classic wooden flooring, but it was essentially the dimensions of a swimming pool, and which meant obviously if you were running at speed towards the back, um, there were quite a lot of shin-based injuries in the game. And was it sloped? Wow. Um, no, they Great got rid question. of the slope. Yeah, oh. that would have that would have added a real element of yeah, sort of the, the underhill of five a side. <laughs> So yeah, a young kid introduced towards the end of the game and considered to be thrown in at the deep end. <laughs> you could have, yeah. um, and the goals as well. Think of the goals. You could, one end, you could have the traditional short and wide five-a-side goal at the shallow end, but then the deep end could be tall enough for a for like a hockey-sized goal. Best of both sides. Yeah, nice. That could be good. It feels a bit like real tennis equivalent of football. That's what you've been playing. <laughs> I, I have played in a five-a-side game that I think probably wasn't end-to-end. I remember playing, um, it was at a power league, and we, if the only time in my life, we failed to score in a game. of It was a like, proper league game in a, yeah, in a five-a-side bad. league. We, we played against a team. They, they were all from Eastern Europe, and they were all brilliant. They were brilliant. A and, crack and, Eastern European out. Yeah, and they... they they were just, it was just ridiculous. I think they beat us 38 0 in, <laughs> in a 50 minute game of five oh, a side. That's awful. That's awful. So what? they kept going? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. No let up whatsoever. They were relentless. What are your attacking endeavours in a 38 0 defeat at Power League? Like, what's the, what's the sum total of. Well, we, we couldn't really get the ball because they were, they were mm. technically excellent, but also big and strong. So even every any time we did get the ball, and and, and your your sense of self worth just gets ground down to the yeah. point where you just can't even, no imagination or bravery or endeavour is left in you by the end. So you're just basically just clinging on for dear life. But yes, I, yeah, that definitely wasn't an end to end game, but a very rare example. Okay. Presumably, taking the kick off became an increasingly nervous manner as the game went on. You know, when it was five 0 let's just start again. When it's thirty, yeah. it's like, can I keep possession for one pass? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, nobody wanted it. <laughs> no, go. You wouldn't, would you? Oh God, <laughs> don't give it to me. Okay, okay. I won't take it as a given from now on. Um, let's kick things off on the adjudication panel this week. With a message from Adam, who says, when discussing the beginning of an opening of a new air route from Belfast to Milan. I mentioned one of the reasons to go to Milan would be an opportunity to visit the San Siro, one of the true cathedrals of football. My wife inquired what a cathedral of football was and how such a title was granted. I realised that I wasn't really sure if there was a list and what did and didn't qualify and also that I'd never thought about it before. What is a cathedral of football? Where is the most cathedrally stadium? What... What are your instant thoughts about this, Duncan? What qualifies as a cathedral? Well, it has to be old. You can't have a modern cathedral. I would, I would say that's the, the most important thing. I think any kind of ecclesiastical stylings. Um, so if you take the San Siro, for instance, it has those really cool, you know, circular walkway things on the corner, mm. which I, I ran down. Are they um, ecclesiastical? Well, I've been in some churches and, yeah, but you have to go, no church has a sort of um, escalator in it, does it? Like a modern football stadium. You'd have like a long, complicated, circular walkway. So I think think that works. So Duncan's first criterion 
Dave, is that it has to be steeped in history. Architecture mm. comes afterwards. I think that's a reasonable order of things. I agree. Got to be massive, right? Sixty thousand minimum. Where do we stand on redevelopments? Will the Bernabeu, once it's redeveloped beyond all recognition, still qualify? It's a triggers broom situation of stadiums, mm. isn't it? I think it should because it still has the history inherent to it. Mm. And, you know, many stadiums have been... I mean, the San Siro. It's very MLS now, isn't it, San Siro? I feel like we've, we're have we clinging on to the the just about. But San Siro was redeveloped almost beyond recognition. But that's had so much time since. So San Siro is cathedrally. That's fine. And funnily yeah. enough, yeah, that's at the top of Adam's list. San Siro, of course. Bernabeu is second. Camp Nou, third. Old Trafford, he considers a cathedral, Duncan. Are you... Happy with that? Seems like too close to us, too familiar. Yeah, I think it's easier to ascribe cathedralness to foreign stadiums. I'm sure there's plenty of Italians and Spaniards who look at Old Trafford uh, as a cathedral. I mean, you know, its Wi-Fi connection is very 12th century, so <laughs> yeah, that that adds up. But um, yeah, I'm not. I you said about the sixty thousand capacity. Like, I would say. Anfield, if Old Trafford can be, then Anfield surely should and could be. It's and knocking that's on the door than... of 60,000 eventually, won't it? So it'll get there. It's got the history. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, Anfield was on his list. Wembley too, Dave. Old mm. or new? Cathedrally to you? I'm not convinced. Because it's, cause it's, like, it's, it's got history, but not sustained history of, of like, I don't know. It's not, it's not, clubs don't play there. Does that make a difference? Uh, no, that's, yeah, Worshippers that don't go there. Well, this, but then I, you sort of do have a pilgrimage, though, don't you, to, to Wembley, mm. if you were... Oh, yeah. Wembley Way is quite, you know... Yeah. It, yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think you say old Wembley, no question, but the new Wembley doesn't feel very cathedrally. But I think I think when the in terms of the Old Trafford, Wembley, Anfield, or whatever, we're so used to them being called other things. So, you know, Wembley, the home of football, uh, the theatre of dreams for Old Trafford, you know, the cop, Anfield, and all that. Uh, it, it's hard for us to think about them in cathedral like terms but I, I would imagine that maybe like European fans might feel the same they might not consider the San Siro people in Milan might not consider San Siro to be a cathedral of football but they might want to one day make the pilgrimage to Old Trafford this grand old stadium I think there's a... I think some of the South American ones spring to mind Maracanã, La, La Bombonera yeah El Monumental completes Adam's list um, is, is that, River, that River Plate right yeah okay I mean, I think you have to have, a, you have, to have a roof. enough roof. Yes, thank you, yes. thank you. <laughs> you can't be, a, you can't have a bowly cathedral. No chance. Like Pasadena Rose Bowl. Oh that's yeah, that's the least cathedral stadium ever. That's yeah. that's more of a sort of a, a gathering in a desert of yeah. you know whoever. But yeah, um, I think roofs. I think that's what makes San Siro probably the best one is because you get the sunlight that goes through that that weird roof bit, the metal bit, and sometimes it gives you strange patterns on the pitch, which look a little bit like you know a stained glass window, but that's football true. version. Okay, yeah, a good case made for the headline. Camp Nou doesn't stadium. have a roof though, does it? There's one bit of it's covered, one side's covered, isn't mm, it? That's true. That's true. Maybe not then. Maybe it doesn't count. What's the definition of a cathedral as opposed to a church? Good. Good question. <laughs> Google, not fucking about here. A cathedral is a much larger place of worship than a church. <laughs> oh, it's run by a bishop. Okay. A church is run by a group of clergymen or priests. So it's like HQ, like the regional headquarters Fine. of the church. And they're just little branches. So there you go. Actually, that seems quite obvious. Okay. Hmm, interesting. Um, next up, 
John W was in the comments from last week's episode. He says, um, my daughter has brought home the American children's book Mrs. Broomstick School for Witches. After a mishap for the main character, the teacher consoles the girl, saying, someday you will be a top-flight witch. With no obvious league pyramid in the story, nor in American sport, one wonders how the phrase got there. Dave, what do you reckon? How do you, how do you become geared towards being a top-flight witch? It's a great question. One that I'd never thought I'd answer. Um, <laughs> where does top-flight witching... Are you evil? A witch is evil by definition? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Someone's just top- plain mischievous, but some surely they're you know be properly malevolent. Do top flight mm. witches reside squarely in Oz? That's when I that's what I think of when I think of witches. I think of well, there was a good witch in Oz, wasn't there? Good witch, bad <laughs> witch, the one that got crushed by a house. Help us out here, Duncan. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously Salem, that's in America, they had a lot of witches, there's issues with witches. So maybe maybe witches became so big in the Salem witch trials that they had to carve up the trials into different sections. And from thence came, you know, you've got your, your big name witches in court one, um, and then your sort of lower league slash non-league witches in, in court two. They don't get the full being thrown in a pond to see if they drown treatment, they just, you know get something else okay but we'll handle the pair of you but um, <laughs> dave are you happy with kind of just top flight being used just sort of generally as a as a mark of class i mean i'm open to the idea no. that top flight perhaps came from a general usage but i don't think it did no i'm not i think i think it's yeah it's too um synonymous with league structure but top yeah, draw top, top, yeah top draw witch <laughs> that is a top draw witch <laughs> It's top, top witch, top, top witch. That, if that ends up in an American children's book, I'll be very... <laughs> Jamie Redknapp doing the writing. That is actually probably not beyond the realms of possibility. As J- for Jamie Redknapp to write a book, a children's book that includes... Lampard did one, didn't he? Well, that, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. a very common thing these days, isn't it? For sure. Um, now, after last week's um, absurd transfer-related language, uh, Duncan, we... We tried to pick apart the absurd words of substantial verbal approach. Corriera dello Sport have trumped this when they reported that Arsenal are allegedly joining the race for Juventus' USMNT midfielder, Weston McKenney. And uh, their account of it went as follows. It's more likely that Arsenal's attempt will be successful if the first survey turns into a concrete lunge. It translates really well, apparently. Like, that is a very, very, you know, reliable translation. Concrete lunge. What? What a way to describe. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess the the strength of a lunge is quite important. You know, you have to put a bit of effort and force into a lunge. And what's more heavy and forceful than than a load of concrete? The lunge is quite a desperate act, though. In Italian, that that word would be used in fencing for a lunge. Right. Uh, I can't remember what the word. So original the concrete Italian approach. Word was. Yeah, concrete is, approach. Yeah, but a lunge or a thrust. Sense. A thrust, alternatively, which seems a bit much for signing a player, personally. But, Dave, in summary, would you be happy with concrete lunge? No, it doesn't sound right. It's, it's, too, it's too weird. Okay, it is weird. It sounds, like, it sounds like an event that's in the Winter Olympics that everyone you know briefly gets into for, like, three days. And you're like, I don't really want to watch it. But, um... Gold medal yeah, Did you see the... Yeah. Kira Chato in the concrete lunge. Tremendous work. This could be the peak of this episode. Uh... I don't want to oversell it, but this came from listener Michael Cox, who was uh, tuning into Brendan Rodgers' pre-weekend press conference. And he was asked about uh, turning 50. And the first 25 seconds of this are pure Brendan Rodgers, but you will just simply not be prepared for just how football it is at the end. 
but no, the uh, the club are great. They're they're very very good at recognising when you get to uh, certain points in your life. And um, and listen, I'm I'm privileged to to reach 15 grow old. I think uh, for all of us in in life, there's there's some people who are never fortunate enough to to grow old. And so it's not something I'm scared of. It's something that to um, to be cherished. So hopefully, I can continue to to get the birthdays. <laughs> <laughs> Continue to get the birthdays. Dave, it's superb. It's superb. No no other human being on this planet would say continue to get the birthdays. I'm convinced of this. I mean, you know, you, often you will hear a, age referred to as clubs. Hmm. Oh, now join the... Oh, you turned 40, join the club, mate, sort yeah. of thing. But he's literally talking as if he has joined the 50 club in exactly the same way you'd speak about if you just signed for Leicester. Yeah. Or whatever, or, or taken over, taken over a, new, a new club. Um... In many ways, Duncan, it's, it's, it's quite sad to see someone so clearly imprisoned by football speak. The whole thing was just pervaded by just a football mentality there. Just 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 answer it normally, just like a normal person. Yeah, but I think that what I got from that was he didn't really want to be talking about his birthday in a, in a work environment. And so he did just yeah resort to, to you know, mode seven or whatever he, he uses to, to pump out the football knowledge. But... But yeah, like Dave said, it feels like almost like he's got an international cap for every birthday and, you know, he's got a nice cupboard and the, the 50th one's just arrived. Yeah, long may those birthdays continue. Do you think part of it is the fact that he's... So that so that, that interview was in a press conference. He's sitting in, with the microphones on the table in front of the sponsorship hoardings with the assembled press pack and and it's sort of autopilot. Yeah. Do you think he's... But, 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 Rogers may be an exception, possibly. I don't know if he was in a, a normal setting. If you were, if you were talking to him over dinner, would he still talk like that? I think he, he probably might. Maybe. I think others, some other managers, maybe they would relax a bit more. Hmm. But he, I mean, he, I mean, for extra context, Dave, he was asked about like his cake that Leicester got him, and then they asked him whether there was a fox on it. And so, so the the questions got more and more kind of pathetic, to be honest, as the, as that exchange went on so credit to him for padding it out with football speak but the ending is just just utterly utterly superb here's an old favorite of ours but in a, in a relatively new context this came from beth potter liam milner and john sands credit to all three of them for for keeping an ear out for this sort of thing here's don hutchison's ears pricking up when a certain durham luxury spa hotel was mentioned on five live the other day anthony patterson established himself last season We've just actually been voted the FWA Football Writers Association Northeast Young Player of the Year. So we'll be collecting that award in uh, in early March at the uh, at the Ramside Hall. When, uh, what a venue that is, by the way! It's uh, a very very popular venue in the uh, in the Northeast. That was very much said with with the with the relish of a man who I think has probably given one or two after dinner speeches in that venue. Hmm. Been to a few do's there. It was a, it was a textbook delivery. Of a by the way, Duncan. Um, it's such oh, yeah. a translatable art. Yeah, and I think like a cup tie is a perfect. You know, that's the sort of weekend you feel like you probably wouldn't do that in a big sort of Super Sunday clash, no. maybe. But you can just chuck them in any way you like in a, in a nice little uh, FA Cup tie. Yeah, the hair does seem to be sort of let down on FA Cup coverage. It's like it seems to be a much more relaxed vibe to Five mm. Live, in particular. But. This is a tricky question, actually, from Seb Eaton. He asked, is there a number of goals threshold for deserving a greatest rather than best goals compilation? Following his move to Arsenal, Sky put out a greatest PL's 
goals compilation for Trossard. He has 25 league goals, which feels at the lower end to warrant a greatest montage. At what point does best become greatest? I don't think it's I don't think it's just pure volume, is it? It's got to be history. There's got to be a time period involved. Greatest doesn't feel right with the player. I mean, how, are any of his goals great? Have any of them been been, been objectively oh, so great? So quality of goals is important too. Uh, possibly. I mean, unless Maybe. you were like, obviously there will be there'll be strikers. Mm. I don't know who are just good goal scorers, but aren't scorers of great goals. <laughs> But it does feel like, if you use the word great, there's certain connotations there that okay. I don't think feel right next to a compilation of a player who's only been in the Premier League for a few years and has only scored 25 goals. I agree. So, Duncan, lots of moving parts here. I put it to you that we're looking at a minimum of 100 goals across a time period of at least five years. And I would say that the general quality of the goals have to be in and around goal of the month quality not all of them no I suppose not all of I suppose not no yeah uh, he has to be noted for scoring decent goals so all those things combined I mean Sky have done that series haven't they where someone gets to 100 goals and they do that sort of review of of their 100 goals but then if you look at someone say Matthew Letizia or Mo Salah their treble figure hauls are going to be different sort of goals to say Andy Cole or someone like that so mm. I think it's more a time thing than an amount because I think you could have David Beckham who didn't score 100 goals but I think if someone said here's my greatest David Beckham Premier League goal compilation I think no one would no one would turn their nose up at that okay, okay. Andy Cole's an interesting example scored lots of goals a very good finisher but you could never describe you could never collate his goals together and call him Andy Cole's greatest goals. He's, right, really, on the, no. he's right on the threshold because he's got I some think important goals. His first season when he was at Newcastle in the Premier League, they did score a few decent goals, like you know, long-range goals. But then at United, he increasingly became inside the six-yard box. So that doesn't lessen the goal, but it does mean I think for a, for a greatest goal collection, you're right. It does need to have a sort of a certain proportion of long-range screamers, etc. Yeah. This yeah. is why you're a good stand-in for Charlie Eccleshare today, is because you've got that early Premier League knowledge. But but Charlie would have picked out a specific game. Yeah. From that the 93-94 season. Actually Andy Cole's got a great goal. I think it I think <laughs> it was a way to 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 Nottingham Forest actually on 7th of December 1994. Nobody remembers any of Andy Cole's goals from Newcastle except that one against Chelsea into the top left-hand corner uh, with his left foot. That's the only mm. goal anybody remembers from Newcastle days. So you could have had that one, but you didn't. The um, only goal of his for United I can remember is that one on the last day of the season where he sort of so against Spurs lifts it over the keeper. Yeah. That's yeah. it doesn't qualify for a greatest goals compilation simple as that um i'm not sure about the next question at all i'm i'm very i'm going to keep my mind quite open about it from adam arthurs what's the correct place on the pitch for a player to be picking up the pieces for me it's a striker collecting a loose ball in the box preferably to score what has to happen for it to count as picking up pieces could a defender pick up pieces to clear duncan i can we can rule out the last bit defenders don't pick up pieces they they they, they sort of clean up don't they yeah but they don't pick yeah, up pieces. They don't Mop pick up. up pieces. Mop up, sorry. Yes, not clean up. Mopping up. Thank you, Dave. Um, picking up pieces, I I think that's more on the edge of a box after a move's broken down. Yes. So, like, maybe a, it could be a defender who's up there for the set piece, but but generally, like, a midfielder who's, you know, it looks like the, the move's broken down, but they've picked up the pieces and they've threaded it back into the box and, you know, and the team's got another chance. So that, that feels like the spot for me. This is very perceptive, Dave. I'm on board with this. I don't think it is sort of loose balls in the box at all. I don't think that. I don't. Picking up the pieces isn't dramatic enough for that. 
No. In what sort of context would this be used in commentary? I'm trying to envisage like a co-commentator eulogising about a player and how would they say picking up the pieces where would it fall into a sentence I think you'd use it more at the end of a game so as you're analysing what happened you'd, you'd pick out a midfielder say and say this is why I had a good game today because you know throughout the match he was picking up pieces when the moves were breaking down it's more oh, of a oh well this is controversial you think it's an ongoing thing sort of a player Continually yeah. picking up pieces. I thought it was an isolated incident of picking up the pieces. A uh, move well, breaks think... down, then the ball is, is is recollected on the edge of the box, but and the move is essentially revitalised. That's picking up the pieces. Yeah, it? I agree, and that is the case. But I think it's the sort of thing you only really notice if someone keeps doing it in games. You only so ever like hear what... the phrase "picking up the pieces" when someone's been left to pick up the pieces, don't you? <laughs> yeah. You've left me here to pick up the pieces. Yeah. I've been left here and he was left there to pick up the pieces. It's like, so So perhaps it's, perhaps there needs to be an element of someone else letting you down and mm. you're sort of coming yeah. in to pick yeah. up the pieces. I think it's just a loose ball, to be honest. I don't think it, I don't think it has the same sentiment as the wider usage of picking up the pieces. But, um, but I definitely don't think it's a loose ball in the box. I think it's too mundane for that, but still quite a promising situation. I think a loose ball in the box is... That's when you're sort of sniffing. Mm. You might be sniffing. Or just, looking for scraps. Yeah, looking for scraps. Feeding off feeding scraps. On, feeding on scraps. <laughs> uh, pouncing on things. L- latching onto, which is slightly different. That's not necessarily a loose ball. That's more of a latching onto a knockdown. Lurking at the back post. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, an interesting question for Adam Arthurs. I'm, I'm glad you posed that one because it's not something I thought about before. Now, next up. Again, 50-50 for me. Simon Glynn says, Todd Cantwell made his debut for Rangers at the weekend. This was a 2-0 win over St Johnston. And in his post-game tweet, he wrote, three points, tick, debut, tick, clean sheet, tick, a very enjoyable day for me, some place to call home. Duncan, how do you feel about a attacking midfielder, a number 10 figure, hailing a clean sheet? Well, statistically... I think it's okay. I think it has been done before. And I think maybe as an individual, it is a bit dodgy, but I think maybe your debut is the one time you can do it. You know, you're trying to ingratiate yourself with the with the fans. So I think it's probably just about acceptable. So rounded off his day. Oh, we've got a clean yeah. sheet as well. If we had put it first, then that's a major red yes. flag. But yeah. as a sort of like, oh, also, we've got a clean sheet. I think that's fine. Hmm. How do you feel about it, Dave? Should be a yeah. cut-off point for me. DMs backwards. Yeah, I, th- I think... I think- as Duncan said, having having it third on the list does maybe just let him get away with it. It's a, it is a nice added bonus. I do you know what though? I was talking about this this, this subject earlier on in relation to um, how certain players are perceived differently by some football fans in relation to their FPL sort of successes as opposed yeah. to what they do in real life. And I th- I wonder whether Todd Cantwell's an FPL player and he's thinking, oh, I get a point for mm-hmm. that clean sheet. Aware of his audience, maybe. I don't know. That could be. I mean, it does there, bleed is there in. Fantasy just, football just, in the Scottish Premiership. Do they just, do? Do they bother with they that do. rubbish? They do. There is a there is a fantasy yeah football game up there in you know, for, for the. Don't S- call it the SPL. Don't do yeah, it. It's not Scottish that anymore. Premiership. Is it? Yeah, yeah. It's, exactly. the, it's the only correct usage of Premiership. But by the way, mm. I saw. Um, I was looking at Solly March's Wikipedia page over the weekend, as as you would, mm. and his school has got a few, you know, notable former pupils but it's got lowercase premiership footballer Solly March as in premiership so like it's, it's very upsetting that's awful. very upsetting that is awful get with it terrible okay good to clear that one up okay next up um just wanted to relay this message from listener Henry Worth to his brother Max to Max we've heard enough cliched messages of condolence for dad over the last couple of weeks but here's another 
to our Rolls Royce of a father, the big man, the legend. To our newly coined cliche, it's what he would have wanted. What a dad he was, by the way. Lots of love, Henry. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, host of the Athletic Football Podcast. It's the final week of January and uh, that sound you can hear is clubs frantically trying to get deals over the line before the deadline closes on Tuesday night. Uh, Myself, David Ornstein, Adam Crafton and our raft of club experts will be all across the biggest moves this week and we'll discuss the fallout when the window shuts. So just search for the Athletic Football Podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your pods. Oh, look at that! That is wonderful! Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Welcome back to Football Clichés and the Adjudication Panel. Now, next up, Duncan. This came from Joe Cable and Jordan Siachi. This was five live reacting to Duncan Ferguson's baptism of fire down in League One as Forest Green Rovers manager. They conceded twice in injury time to lose to Shrewsbury. And uh, this is how Five Live reported it. They've got about a minute to hold on here, Grimsby. Luton 2, Grimsby 2. Oh, big dunk. Welcome to football management, Charlie Slater. Oh, it's a cruel, cruel game. They led for 75 minutes, just pegged back in the 95th minute. They've lost the game. Shrewsbury have won it. Ryan Bowman in the 98th minute. Shrewsbury 2, Forest Green 1. Big dunk with his big head in his big hands. <laughs> yeah. uh, tight and unfortunate for Duncan. Uh, very comfortable. Sorry, I completely forgot where I'm going. Um, <laughs> Chappers there, Duncan, uh, quite rightly knocked off course by that. Um, it's beautifully delivered. It just felt quite flippant in a weird way. <laughs> yeah, I've never. I mean, I know he was good in the air, but I've never thought of Duncan Ferguson as having a particularly big head. Well, it all goes hand in hand. I think if you're big generally, then you'd, you'd yeah. like to think it all all tallies. His head is... Big Sam's got a big head, if you think about it. His head is actually quite visibly quite quite mm. large. Whereas Duncan is a bit more in proportion, I'd say. But he is, yeah, he is a very big, imposing man. And um, I like that. That was good. Something of the children's book about it. It's in this, <laughs> this big, big man with his big, big head, <laughs> big, big hands and a big, big pitch. <laughs> um, honestly, uh, I don't know. There was just a hint of derision about it, but I'm sure there wasn't. But uh, honestly, just sensational. Um, meanwhile, Al Snow is back with another one. Dave he says on Five Live on Saturday evening, Don Hutchison again said of Duncan Ferguson about his appointment as manager of Forest Green Rovers that he knows his way round a football pitch or two. <laughs> That's weird, isn't it? Yeah. But again, works perfectly in a football context. He knows his way around a football pitch or two. Does he work? No, I don't think it does because you again. How would you normally say or two? He's he's seen a thing or two in his time. He knows a thing or two about about knows a thing or two, but knows his way around a football pitch or two. I think it's fine, but no, I think it's I I don't because I think it's too. That sort of suggests that he's only been to two football pitches. Yeah, it sounds a bit weird. Astroturf. Maybe that's it. Well, it also implies that each, like a Formula One or something, like each football pitch is unique and different. So, you know, the, a man that's been around all of them and knows all of them is has an advantage, where they're all pretty much, give or take a few yards, exactly the same. Um, I'll let it slide for now. Now, Wrexham versus Sheffield United, both in its billing and indeed its eventual broadcast, Duncan, was, as expected, absolutely riddled with vague references to Hollywood, Tinseltown and film scripts. 
Um, it, it's a tap in for the broadcast. I think we, we we can kind of allow them this, this can't we? Because it's it's the only angle they've got, so they might as well run with it. Yeah, and I thought the whole vibe of the whole day was was slightly unusual for a, for a live broadcast. I mean, it felt like the the pundits were very much uh, in thrall to Ryan Reynolds. You don't normally get that, do you? Weirdly normally so. The, and, yeah. And the moment that summed it up was um, was Gary Lineker, Dave. Um, sort of leaning round to get Ryan Reynolds' attention as he, Mark Hughes and Alan Shearer were sort of talking to him on the gantry before before it all sort of began. And um, sort of, okay, oh, we've got, a, we've got a thing for that, you know, you know, anything can happen in the FA Cup. It's like, oh God. So it, it, I, it was weird to see Lineker sort of properly starstruck. It is curious, this whole thing, really. He's obviously, a, he is obviously a huge star, mm. but he's, he's not, only in name, is that fair to he's, say? He's, he's, I mean, he's been in some big films, he's Deadpool, but he's not like absolute top, top, top draw well, Hollywood, is he? He's not. So I said this to someone the other day and got roundly dismissed, and apparently he is, and obviously, you know, has a famous partner as well, and, and that yeah. ties into it. So I think for certain demographics, that is massive, you know? Well, as I said, the BBC kind of ran with this. And the game was peppered with um, close-ups of Ryan Reynolds in the stand and sort of references to Hollywood scripts. But this was the standout moment for me. This was from Jonathan Pierce as Wrexham's Paul Mullen stood over a free kick. It's really hard to keep track of Mullen. He's everywhere. He plays all across that front line. Bundle of energy, he really is. 145 career goals. And the Hollywood superstar that is Ryan Reynolds just wants one. Not happy yeah. with that decision, but the looks, the owner. If they had CGI here, they probably would have come up with some sort of goal for them. <laughs> <laughs> when I heard this, when I heard this live, Dave, I thought, has he got? Has he got CGI in his head instead of VAR? And I thought, but no, no, no he's he's shoehorned in. CGI. <laughs> if they had CGI here, no, the BBC would be the ones that could apply the CGI. They got CGI here, Wrexham? No, no. <laughs> no. Yeah, but no. also, like, what? You're at a football game. What should we do with this incredibly powerful software that can make it, you know, anything? Let's just do a goal. Um, yeah, you might get one anyway. But yeah, I laughed out loud when I heard that. It was tremendous. <laughs> Duncan, Good on had- Jonathan Pierce for. Getting into the spirit of things. Well, they did make me wonder if it, there was any CGI in Robot Wars and maybe everything I believe and know is not true. That's true. Some of them were quite ludicrous machines. But, Duncan, if you were to CGI a goal, what would you make it look like? I mean, you could make it look as ridiculous as you like. Yeah, I think I'd have someone scoring direct from a goal kick, but with the ball never rising above like a metre off the ground. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Proper Shaolin soccer shit. Good. Nice. Yeah. like that. Meanwhile, uh, here's Chelsea's new signing, a young French right back called Malo Gusto, in his official unveiling video. Again, bit of a 50-50 one for me. My name is Malo Gusto, 19. I play right back. I'm a faster player, crosser and box to box. A box-to-box right-back. Are we mm. allowing box-to-box? No. Oh. I don't think so, because although technically, I suppose you might pull me up on this and, and you could pick this apart, but box-to-box midfielders, there is the implication that they that they don't need to go into either box, even though they right. obviously would do possibly at some point. So they, they operate between 
the boxes, whereas the right back would have to go beyond the boxes, even if he was up and down, which is fine. Mm. Box to box doesn't have the same, I don't think it quite applies in the same way to a to a right back or a full back. I'm quite open-minded about this, Duncan. I feel like it's more than acceptable in the modern game, given what we demand of our fullbacks. I don't know, it's just, it doesn't fit the traditional vision of it. But is it okay? Because there's no fullback equivalent. I mean, I don't know. I think Dave's right in that up and down is is the one for yeah. fullbacks, because it is, you, you know, it's the length of the pitch, whereas box to box is, yeah, is more of a an operational stance than a, than a geographical position. Is the implication in box-to-box midfielder, Dave, that they're also doing stuff in the middle of the pitch as well? Or is is that implied in the phrase? Is that built in? Or is it so. just both ends and that's it? No, I think they're... I think anywhere in between those two boxes. Mm. All comp- action. Yeah. That's why they call it midfield, I suppose. Yeah, it's in the yeah. name. But yeah. What a tricky episode this is for us. I think this one might be a little bit more straightforward. This came from Josh Healy, who was watching BT Sports coverage of Cremonese versus Inter. Here's Lotaro Martinez pouncing on a rebound to make it 1-1. Dzeko, volley, brilliant, and the follow-up's in. Lautaro Martinez is the front two combined, and into work behind for long. Josh Healy says, Duncan, surely a keeper pushing the ball back into a packed box and another striker finishing isn't the front two combining. Have to agree. Yeah, fully, 100% agree. It's, you know, it's the same way that people get assists for that sort of thing in, in fantasy games, don't they? And it's not, it's not a thing. You can't, unless you, unless you felt, I think this, this keeper looks like a parrier to me. I think I'll just smack <laughs> it at him. Yeah. <laughs> if you call it, like if he shouted, well, um, you know, parry as he did it, fair enough. But I don't think he did. At least the commentator, Dave, didn't call it some sort of telepathic understanding between shooter and uh, rebound collector, picking yeah. up the pieces there in the uh, in- Indeed, indeed. Mm. yeah, it's not a combination. No. The two the two things are ha- happening completely independent from, from one another and someone else has intervened in the middle. Absolutely right, absolutely right. Anybody lamenting the absence of For My Sins Corner this week will also be lamenting the absence of Keys and Grey Corner because it's FA Cup weekend. They don't deal with that shit. They don't deal with that. They're not interested in Wrexham's Hollywood heroics or anything like that so I hope I did those... see just just to just to uh, perhaps a, a, a mini keys and grey corner Go on, um, his tweet about Sean Dice joining Everton which actually hasn't even happened properly yet mm. um, did have a nice sign off saying good luck Sean you'll yeah. need it yeah you'll need it you'll need it um, yeah again I mean that's that's pure keys isn't it Duncan it's kind of judgement on the situation but also a hint of I know I know better than most people You'll need it. Trust me. Oh yeah, he's seen it before. He also is a bit of an Everton expert, isn't he? As well, mm. so he, I think he likes to be seen as the sort of the man that understands Everton, um, and he understands Sean Dyche as well. So you know, I'm sure he'll have plenty of analysis coming up in the next uh, oh, it's, few months. It's great news for Keys and Grey Corner that appointment, no yeah. doubt about it. Well, that might rule Dyche out appearing on their podcast for at least six to eight months. Um, but if and when he leaves be back on again and now you two have combined very well on the adjudication panel today Duncan firing the shots and Dave feeding off the scraps on the rebound but Dave genuinely was a tricky episode for us I think we were tested today Mm. well it's good to be tested I don't think it should all be slam dunks no uh, open and shut cases but it, it, it seems to me that Duncan our listeners 
are getting it. They understand it, and they're starting to test us. The tables are beginning to turn. Oh yeah, big time. There's that's some there's some fiendish content coming in, mm. but um, we can handle it. We can handle it. Um, thanks to you both. We'll be back on Thursday. Cheerio. The Athletic.